A young woman visits her parents, and she brings her new boyfriend to meet mom and dad. After a wonderful dinner, the mother tells her husband that she wants him to find out a little bit more about this kid, so the father invites the young man to the other room to ask him a few questions in private. The father looks at the young man and says, so tell me, son, what do you do for a living? The young man replies, I study the Bible. The father answers, okay, that's great and all, but what do you plan to do to provide for my daughter? The young man says, I will study and God will provide for us. The father looks at him kind of funny and says, well, how do you plan on buying her an engagement ring? You know, those things are kind of expensive. And the man says, I will concentrate on my studies and God will provide for us. Well, what about your children? Asks the father. How are you going to support your kids? Don't worry, sir. God will provide, said the young man. This conversation continues on like this, and each time the father asked the guy a question, the young man would always respond with, God will provide. Later that evening, the couple finally leaves, and the mother asks the father, well, how did it go, honey? Do you think he's a good fit for our daughter? The father answers, well, he has no job or no plans, but I do like the kid because apparently he thinks I'm God. You get it? The dad's going to pay for everything. You're a little slow in here, but you're worth the wait. Amen. I know what you're thinking. We are blessed to have such a pastor, such a great pastor that tells great, such wonderful jokes. <laughs> oh, amen. Well, that one didn't land as I thought it would. Well, anyway, uh, let's get started. If you have your Bible or Bible app, go ahead and go to John chapter 5 and verse number 1. John chapter 5, verse 1. We're in a series right now that we're calling Set free. And the last two weeks of this series, we have talked about our enemy, Satan and his demons, and how scripture compares them to a wolf and how we should be on guard from the attack of the wolf. When it comes to being spiritually free, understanding how the enemy operates is a vital part of that. However, we can't blame everything on the devil. You've probably heard the saying, the devil made me do it. And there are thousands of memes all over the internet that kind of make light of this. But when it comes to our spiritual freedom, we have to understand that we have a part to play in this as well. Is there an enemy? Yes. Is his mission to steal, kill, and destroy? Yes. However, this is what I have seen. Many times we carry self-inflicted gunshot wounds, but we blame those wounds on the enemy. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. For instance, let me give you an example. Let's just say you get a bonus at work. It's $1,000. Praise the Lord. $1,000 you didn't expect. You have been wanting and praying for some money to put into an emergency fund for an emergency that might come up with the Financial Peace University. That's what's recommended, the $1,000, so I'll just use that. So you get the $1,000 in hand, fully funded emergency fund. However, instead of putting that money aside for a rainy day, you decide that you want to spend it on things you really don't need. 
You convince yourself that you need it because that makes you feel better, but the truth is you really don't need it. We've all probably done that, so basically you blow through your bonus. It's fun to do that. I mean, sign me up. Who wouldn't want to do that? It's not fun to put money away in savings for a rainy day. That's boring. Well, two weeks later, an emergency surfaces, and now you have no money. I've seen this happen to people many times, and this is what I hear them say. The enemy is attacking my finances. I need help. I don't know how I'm going to bear the weight of this financial pressure. I'm sure you've probably heard someone say that as well. I used to say that. I would play the part of the victim, guilty. You see, for me, it makes me feel better to say that, to blame it on something else. It takes the responsibility of my bad decision and it puts it on someone or something else. Now, I'm the victim, and people are more likely to help me if they think I'm the victim, treated unfairly by the world, treated unfairly by the enemy. It's not always the devil's fault. Sometimes it's our fault. Sometimes I am the reason I'm not walking in freedom. And what I have found in order to truly be free is I have to be honest with myself on a few things and I have to take responsibility for my bad de decisions, my bad choices. But we don't like to hear that. We don't like to admit fault. However, the Word of God tells us that God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to us when we own our bad decisions and we choose to make a change in our life. So John chapter 5. Now, buckle your seatbelt this morning because this might get a little bumpy. But I'm just the messenger here. Don't shoot the messenger. God wants you to be free. Understand that. And in order to be free, sometimes we have to come face to face with difficult things in our life and be honest with ourselves. I actually shared this great truth with you several years ago, but I'm going to take it a bit of a different direction this morning. So some of this might sound familiar if you were here, if you were attending during that time. So here we go. John chapter 5 and verse 1. So what it says, afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside of the city near the sheep gate, there was a pool that was the pool of Bethesda with five color covered porches. Verse 3, crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on the porches. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him and knew he had been, knew he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, would you like to get well? Verse 7, I can't, sir, the sick man said. For I have no one to put me in the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat, and he began walking. But this miracle happened on the Sabbath, so the Jewish leaders objected. And this is the key point of this miracle right here. They said to the man who was cured, you can't work on the Sabbath. The law doesn't allow you to carry your sleeping mat. <laughs> you got to love religion. But he replied, the man who healed me told me, pick up your mat and walk. 
Who said such a thing as that, they demanded. The man didn't know, for Jesus had appeared into the, disappeared into the crowd. But afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and told him, Now you are well, so stop sinning, or something even worse may happen to you. Then the man went and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had healed him. I'm calling this message today, The Roadblock to Freedom. Father, for the next few moments, I ask that you would anoint these words, God. Father, I pray that these words will, will land the way you have intended. God, I pray that these words will change lives. God, that when we walk out of this place today, we will say, surely the presence of God was in that place. I am brand new. I am free by the power of the word of God. Thank you, Lord, for your anointing in advance in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's start to break this down a little bit. This encounter takes place in Jerusalem. Jesus returns to Jerusalem to celebrate one of the Jewish holy days. The law at the time was for the men of Israel to go to Jerusalem to the temple three times a year. They would go for Passover, the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Tabernacles. We're not told which event this was that Jesus was returning for, but most scholars believe it was for the Passover. So because of this, people are flooding into the city of Jerusalem. The city would have been very crowded as Jews from all over are coming to town and the religious leaders are there as well. Now inside of the city of Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, there was a pool called the Pool of Bethesda. The Sheep Gate is a simple opening in the wall that surrounded the temple that they used to bring sheep in to, to the temple for sacrifice. This will give you a visual. It's tough to see. But the Sheep Gate is to the northern part of that. So you imagine like a stone wall. you got a hole in the wall where they bring the sheep in. And the pool is up by there. Now, at this pool, there was a Jewish legend at the time that stated that an angel of God would come down and stir the waters in that pool. When the angel stirred these waters, whoever would get into the pool first would be healed by God. That sounds like fun. We're all fighting to get in there at the same time. However, this belief was rooted in superstition. Because of this rumor, because of this legend, you had an overwhelming number of disabled and sick people laying by the side of this pool just waiting on their chance to be healed. Every person who walked to the temple would pass by this pool and they would see these hundreds of sick people, I'm assuming, laying down by this pool. They were everywhere. This would have been quite the scene. Now before we continue, I want to take a bit of a detour and talk talk about something that might cause someone to question this text. And I like to discuss things like this for those of you that like to go deeper. Uh, if you're a nerd like me, you like things like this. If you read verse 3, you'll, you'll see this. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on the porches. But then rather than going on to verse 4, if you have an NLT or ESV or NIV or something like that, rather than going on to verse 4, we'll see that verse 4 is actually skipped. And we move instead to verse 5, which reads, one of the men laying there had been sick for 38 years. So this raises a question. What happened to verse 4? Verse 4 is in the King James Bible, which people will try to defend King James, and they'll say that the other translations leave things out, and this is one of them. 
So if you read the King James, you'll read that there is a verse 4. This is what it says in verses 3 through 5. And this is King James translation. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. But here's verse 4. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first after the troubling of the water stepped in was made whole of whatever disease he had. And then verse 5, a certain man was there who had an infirmity 30 and 8 years. So verse 4 of the King, King James translation says an angel would go down at a certain season. So this would only happen at certain times and stir the water. But that's left out of other translation. That, to me, that seems like a pretty big deal. That's a pretty important detail. Why would that be deleted from other translations? Well, here's why you won't find that in more of your more recent translations. And this is why it's best to research stuff for yourself instead of just believing somebody's word for it. Because there are people that believe very strongly that the King James Version is the only accurate translation, and they'll even tell you if you use any other translation, you're not going to make it to heaven. True story, I had a pastor friend in, in Phoenix I just had this discussion with recently, uh, King James only pastor. But they'll use verses like this, it's been omitted as a way to prove their point. If they would just simply dig a little bit, they would realize why that verse is not in other translations. When King James was translated, when King James Bible was translated from the original language, the documents that they had, the translators decided to include this verse because it was in the manuscripts they had at the time. They were handwritten. Other versions, primarily the newer translations, decided not to include it because in the 400 years since King James has been translated, older manuscripts have been found that do not have this verse. If you grew up reading the King James Version of the Bible, you'll know that it was translated largely from a group of manuscripts that dated about roughly back to 1100 AD. These manuscripts were copied they were recopied, and they were copied again, and then they were passed down. But that's all they had to work with at the time. Technology's come a long ways since then. So the translators did the best they could with what they had. So they weren't working from the original documents. They were working from copies of the original documents. Some of them had been copied several times. So what would typically happen is the copyist would see something and they would write their explanation in the column. Kind of like if you're reading the Bible and you feel God speaks something to you and you write, you write what you feel like God's speaking to you in the side note. I do that all of the time. So this is their opinion. And then oftentimes the explanation, when it's being recopied, would end up in the main text. So verse 4 was actually, they have found that it was never deleted. Verse 4 was never there to begin with. It was somebody's opinion. So the, the water, here's what many scholars would think. Remember, the, the chapters and verses didn't come. Man put the chapters and verses in so we could find things better, but they were never there to begin with. So here's what many scholars think happened with this verse. The pool would bubble up. Remember, it happened in season, so there was a certain season as a result of something natural within the pool, and nobody could figure out why. That doesn't make sense to me. You've probably been in a body of water and you've seen a swirl or you've seen bubbling. It's like, I don't know what's causing that. So the explanation was for these guys is that's got to be supernatural. And if it's supernatural, it's got to be an angel coming from heaven to stir up the water and to create those bubbles. And since it's an angel of God, there has to be healing in that water. Thus, the superstition began. 
The superstition was more likely a footnote comment from one copyist, and it made it in to a copied text. So legend was there was healing in this water. That was the superstition. That was the belief at the time. There was healing in that pool when it would bubble up. So this man is laying there, and along comes Jesus. Now, the story is very unique. Typically in the Gospels, when Jesus is around a lot of sick people, you'll see him heal them on a mass scale. Here's a few examples. Matthew 8, 16. That evening, many demon-possessed people were brought to Jesus. He cast out the evil spirits with a simple command. He healed all the sick. Not some of them, all of them. Matthew 12, 15, but Jesus knew that many, uh, what they were planning, so he left that area, and many people followed him. He healed all the sick among them. Matthew 14, 14, Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat, and he had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. Luke 4, 40, as the sun went down that evening, people throughout the village brought sick family members to Jesus. No matter what their diseases were, the touch of his hand healed every one, and we could keep going. In many places, you'll read that Jesus didn't just heal some, he didn't just heal one, but he, had, he, he, he would heal all. You see that numerous times when there's a lot of sick around, but this story is different. There's no healings on a mass scale here in this story as all these sick people are laying by this pool. Jesus walks right through this large crowd of people that needed a healing, but he does not heal them. Verse 3 says that crowds of sick people are just lying there, crowds of them. The blind, the lame, the paralyzed, they're all around him. But instead of healing them, he just keeps walking. But he walks up to one man that had been sick for 38 years. Now usually when we see Jesus do something out of character such as this, in this case not healing people, it's typically because he's wanting to teach a very important truth. So there is a specific reason for this encounter. Jesus walks up to the man and he doesn't heal him right away. Instead, he asks him a question. He looks at him and he says, do you want to get well? Now, it doesn't seem like much. But this is a very important question that Jesus is asking this man, and it's the same question that you and I must honestly answer if we want to remove the roadblock to our own freedom. If we do not honestly answer this question ourselves, we will not find the freedom that we're looking for. Now at first glance, it looks like a ridiculous question. Do you want to get well? I think we would all say, well, of course I want to get well. What kind of question is that? I mean, who doesn't want to get well? But here's the problem. We say we want to get well, but the sad truth of life is this. Some people really don't want to get well. What do you mean? Well, watch this. After Jesus asks him this question, look at how he responds. Verse 7. I can't, sir, the sick man said. For I have no one to put me in the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. He does not answer Jesus' question. When Jesus asks him if he wants to get well, the man does not say yes. What does he do? He makes excuses for why he cannot get well. He's too caught up in making excuses and playing the victim to answer this question. 
If he truly wanted to get well, he would have said something like, yes, heal me. I'll do whatever it takes, whatever I have to do. I want to get well. He never says yes. He says, I can't. And then he makes excuses for why he can't. You see, for the past 38 years, this man has had someone else take care of him. He's lived off of others for 38 years sitting by this pool, and the reality is he would rather stay in his sickness than to be set free and healed. Because if he is healed of his condition, his life is going to change. Listen to me, if he is healed, his excuses for his current lifestyle are now over. If he is healed, he would now have to take responsibility for his life. The excuse for laying by the pool would be gone. So even though he doesn't admit it directly, he would rather stay sick and complain about being sick to others. Listen very carefully. If someone, when someone is asked the question, do you want to get well, and there's options given, they're typically going to respond in one of two ways. They're going to say, yes, I want to get well, and then they're going to take the proper steps to get well, or they will make excuses as to why they can't get well. If somebody responds with excuses, and this is just in my, in my 20 plus years of ministry, the truth is more often than not, they really don't want to get well. And I can say this because it used to be me as well. Let me give you a practical example that's something that you've probably seen yourself. Because you'll see this play out on social media. Just scroll through some of the community pages here in our city and you will see this. People will be asking for help of some sort. Nothing wrong with that. We all need help from time to time. That's what we do. We help a lot of people. And people will respond. They'll ask for help of some sort. People will begin to respond with some will have great ideas to help. Now, some people will smart off, but that's just the nature of the beast, I suppose. One of the big things that people ask for is food. And one thing that I've noticed is we, more and more, this church is becoming a part of, hey, as a resource where people are saying, hey, you go to Green Bay first, you can get help. I've started to see that just from other people I don't even know within the community, which is, which is a good thing. So somebody will get on, we'll just say they ask for food. You've probably seen that. Someone asking for food, people will get on there, and what they'll do is they'll share the different pantries in the community, they'll share other options, people who to call, et cetera, et cetera. They're really wanting to help. They're trying to help. Now, the, now how the person responds that is doing the asking will tell you everything you need to know. Some people will say, thank you so much, I'm going to head over there in the morning, I'm going to make that phone call right away, etc. I appreciate the help. They want to get well. They want help getting back on their feet, and they're willing to do what it takes. They're willing to do their part to get well. But remember, not everybody wants to get well. I know of an individual that literally lives two blocks from the church, and they ask for food on a regular basis on these community pages. No problem with that. People are eager to help, which is great. But people have started to catch on to this numerous ask. And I remember reading one of their requests and somebody commented, I don't know who it was, but they said, hey, great news, Green Bay First is only two blocks from you and they're giving food away three times a week and they even give a hot meal on Sunday and they even give you a ride. They'll even give you a ride to pick it up. Basically, you're in a perfect spot. Just contact them and they will help you. The response 
well, I can't really get down there, followed by excuse, excuse, excuse. The truth is they don't really want to get well. Like the guy in our story, they just kind of want to hang out by the side of the pool. Let me be honest, if that was me and my family is struggling and my family is hungry, I'm going to be standing outside the front doors waiting on the thing to open. Do you want to get well? And we have to honestly answer this question ourselves if we want to experience true freedom. This is one of our greatest enemies. Let me tell you, being in the ministry for as long as I have, I've had the opportunity to speak with thousands of people that have struggled with some kind of life-controlling addiction, whether it be alcoholism, drugs, food addiction, shopping addictions, pornography, you name it. I've seen families ripped apart because of these things. I've seen lives destroyed, and I've, and I've seen people die because of this stuff. And I once asked a man that was a former alcoholic that had finally beaten his addiction. took him years, but he failed several times before that. He finally beat it. I, I looked at him and said, what was the difference for you? You failed all these times. You beat it this time. What was the different? What, what, what was different about this time? His response was eye-opening. I'll never forget it. He said, I finally got to the place in my life where I'd had enough. I seriously wanted to get well and I was willing to do whatever it took to get my healing. I always knew it was destroying me, but I never really got serious about quitting. That's what he said. He said, once I got to the place where I really wanted to quit, it was actually quite easy. You see, he wanted to get well. He dropped the excuses. He said, I want to get well. I will do whatever it takes to get well. This is one of the big reasons New, Year, New Year's resolutions fail most of the time. Because most of us that set them, we don't really want to get well. If you're going to lose weight or if I'm going to lose weight and I say I'm going to start on January 1st and I'm serious about it and I'm serious about losing weight, I'm not going to wait till January 1st. If I'm serious about it, I'm going to start December 15th. But we have excuses like, well, the holidays are coming up. Well, this, well, that. They're excuses. They say, yes, I want to lose weight, but I don't want to make the sacrifice to get healthier, to eating healthier. I don't want to make the sacrifice of heading the treadmill. It's excuses. Excuses make us feel better. I don't have the time to hit the treadmill. I don't have the time to go to the gym. My life is too hectic for me to make healthier food choices. It's so much order, easier to order the pizza than have it delivered for double the price than it is to cook a chicken breast. Yeah, it is much easier but do you want to get well? You'll hear people saying, I, I told you this was a tough message this morning. Do you still love me? Yes, a couple of you, amen. <laughs> You'll hear people say, I want to quit smoking, but I want to get healthy, but excuses. I want you to know that if you're sitting in this room this morning and there's an addiction that has its grip on you, whether it be alcohol, drugs, social media, pornography, whatever else it might be, God is asking you the same question this morning, do you want to get well? I want to set you free. He wants to set you free, but do you want to get well? Do you want to be free from that which is enslaving you? 
He has the power to break the chains of addiction from you, but he will not do it if you really don't want to get well. Your desire to get well, your desire to break the chains has to be greater than your desire of what you're addicted to. Do you want to get well? Jesus knew this man did not want to get well. As a matter of fact, nobody by the side of that pool that day wanted to get well. No one yelled out, Jesus, heal me. No one. But he walks up to this man, and after this man gives excuses, Jesus heals him anyway. He shows no faith in Jesus, but Jesus heals him anyway. Very odd. This is important because typically Jesus would only heal those that wanted to be healed, that would ask for a healing. So again, this is kind of out of character for Jesus, but the reason, you got to understand, the reason that Jesus healed him is found later in the, in, in the chapter there, it's because it was God's plan, it would set into motion what was to come. If there wasn't a plan, Jesus would have just kept walking because the man didn't want to be healed. Jesus had one thing in mind though, then that was the will of the Father. You see also in the crowd that day were the religious leaders. Let's read, let's read verse 8 again. Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat, began walking, but this miracle happened on the Sabbath. Now, here it is. So the Jewish leaders objected. This ticked the, leaders, the, 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 the Jewish leaders off, the religious leaders. They said to the man who was cured, you can't work on the Sabbath. The law doesn't allow you to carry that mat. But he replied, the man who healed me told me, pick up your mat and walk. Who said such a thing as that, they demanded. The man didn't know, for Jesus had disappeared into the crowd. But afterward, Jesus found him in the temple, told him, now you're well, stop sinning, or something else might happen to you. Then the man went. Now watch what he does. Instead of thank you, Jesus, the man went and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus, Jesus who had healed him. And this was the, this was the confrontation that, that started that, that trek to the cross, that led to the cross. This healing was performed on the Sabbath, which caused a huge controversy among these religious people that were there, Jesus had broken their law, not God's law. They broke their law, and so they wanted an explanation. How dare this man heal somebody on the Sabbath day? I mean, let the guy suffer. How dare you heal him on the Sabbath? The Sabbath is a day of rest. This healing miracle led to the controversy that ultimately led to his death. Jesus healed this man because he was looking at the bigger picture, the bigger picture of the cross. The bigger picture of bringing the ultimate healing to all of mankind. Now watch this. We see again that Jesus catches up to this guy later. He tells him, stop what you're doing or something worse is going to happen to you. Translation, I know you didn't want to be healed, but you were, you were healed anyway because that was the will of God. But I want to warn you, be careful not to fall back into your old habits or it will be worse. Think about people that relapse. Many will tell you that it is, the relapse is worse for them than the original addiction. It's said that with every relapse, the withdrawal symptoms get worse. So what does this man do? He takes this information straight to the Jewish leaders and he tattles on Jesus. That's the man that helped me. That's the man that worked on the Sabbath. Get him. Now you think he would be jumping up and down and singing praises unto God, but instead he's ratting Jesus out. This is further proof the man did not want to be healed. There's no thankfulness at all. But watch this. Here's an example of someone 
that did want to be healed. I want you to contrast this with, with what we just with the story that we just read. Luke chapter 8 and verse 42. As Jesus went with him, he, he was surrounded by the crowds. So a big crowd around him. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding, and she could find no cure. Coming up behind Jesus, she touched the fringe of his robe, and immediately the bleeding stopped. Who touched me, Jesus asked. Everyone denied it, and Peter said, Master, this whole crowd is pressing up against you. So you can imagine this tight crowd. But Jesus said, No, someone deliberately touched me, for I felt healing power go out of me. When the woman realized that she could not stay hidden, she began to tremble and fell to her knees in front of him. The whole crowd heard her explain why she had touched him and that she had been immediately healed. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Here's a lady that had been struggling with bleeding for 12 years. She'd been sick for 12 years. She'd gone to many doctors, could find no cure. Because of this bleeding, this would have made her unclean. This would have made her an outcast in society. No one would want to be around her. She, could, she should not even have been in that crowd because the belief was that with someone with this condition touched you, you would now be unclean as well. So people would avoid people like this lady, like the plague. But this lady is desperate. She'd been, like I said, to all the doctors, she spent all she had for nothing. Her only hope was a miracle. And she could have sat up in her apartment that day or wherever she lived and seen Jesus walking down the street and said, man, I would like to go out there, but I shouldn't be around people. But what if I'm not healed? I just need to stay up here. Maybe the Lord will come to me. But this is a woman that wanted to get well. She wanted to get well so bad that she didn't care what anybody thought. She was going after Jesus. And it was in this time of desperation that she crawls to Jesus and she just wanted to touch the edge of his robe. And the moment she does, she's instantly healed. If she didn't want to be healed, she would have stayed up with excuses of why she couldn't go down. She gets on her hands and knees and she crawls towards the Savior. Twelve years, no hope, made brand new in an instant. Do you want to get well? God wants to deliver you from the hand of darkness, believe me. He wants to break the chains of bondage that are holding you down. But first, we must honestly answer that question. Do I want to get well? Do I really want to be free. Your desire to get well has to be greater than your desire of the addiction or whatever it else is that you're dealing with. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up at this time. You see, knowing what to do and actually doing it are two different things. Having the tools is not good enough. I'm giving you the tools right now. This is like handing you a tool, but the tools do no good sitting in the toolbox. If I want to build a house, I actually have to swing the hammer. If I want to see progress, I have to actually use the tool. If I sit back and I complain about how heavy the hammer is, the house isn't going to get built. I have to swing the hammer. We all have to answer the question, do I want to get well? Do I want 
to be free. I cannot answer that for you. You cannot answer that for me. We have to answer that question ourselves. This healing account from Jesus that we, re- that we read here forces us to do a little self-examination. And this is a hard truth to come face to face with. It was for me. Do I want to get well? Because I would say I wanted to get well in certain areas, but then again, I was wanting to hold on to this. I knew getting well was the right thing to do, but I just was not willing to let go of this. Do we want to get well? Unfortunately, many of us can be like the lame man. We're sick, we're dysfunctional, we're addicted, messed up in some way. We say we want to change, but when the hard work of change appears, we realize that we would just rather stay sick. That's too hard. It's easier to stay sick, let's just be honest. It's easy to say we want to change, but it's hard to actually change. Do you want to get well? I've asked, the, I've asked the worship team to come on back up this morning. You guys want to go ahead and start playing, you can. We're going to do a song to close. We're going to do a song of worship to close. It's a song called I Surrender. And I just encourage you, let this be your heart cry this morning as we close this, close this service. Feedback and all, praise the Lord. <laughs> let this be your heart cry. I surrender. Let's go ahead and stand to our feet. I want you to take a moment and just get alone with God. If you want to come down to the front this morning, I'll pray over you and I'll invite our prayer team down. They can come down and they pray pray over you as well. We're not going to ask you what you're needing from God this morning. But we're just going to come by and we're going to pray for you and we're going to believe God for your miracle. But I, I just want to encourage you this morning that if that if you're to that place that you're saying, yes, I... I want to get well. I want to be healed. I want to be set free. I want to get well. I just encourage you to come down to the front. Let us pray for you this morning. Because I believe that God is going to set you free. Let's spend a few moments and worship the Lord this morning.